Well, I took last week off, and one of the coolest things that I've noticed with keeping up with the data that the podcast tracks is that over the past two weeks, I've had zero days with zero listens, which is quite the milestone for me. Very exciting, and I'm very happy that this is starting to catch on and people are enjoying it. So I appreciate you guys listening and spreading the word out there. In this episode, we're going to be diving into what my MCS course looked like this past week, learning all about mechanical circulatory support for patients with failing hearts. Honestly, it was a really awesome course and I took a lot away from it. And hopefully you guys learn a little bit from what I tell you about it. So enjoy this episode and thanks again for listening and thanks again for spreading the word. This is Collecting My Observations. Welcome to Collecting My Observations. Enter into the stream of thoughts that flow through the mind of an ICU fellow who is on his way to becoming an anesthesiologist and intensivist. This is where patients live on the verge of life and death. So yesterday I got to participate in our mechanical circulatory support course, which was a full day of workshop, which involves simulation as well as hands-on experience getting to work with different reps from different companies who supply these mechanical support systems. And I got to say, it was a long day, but it was very educational and very helpful, especially now that I'm in the cardiovascular ICU. Currently, I'm finishing up. Today's my last day in the cardiac ICU. So I feel like this knowledge that we gained is going to be really helpful as we continue this fellowship and as we rotate through the cardiac ICU. This workshop was put on by the cardiology department with some help from some of the anesthesiologists and intensivists from our department. And the participants of it were cardiology fellows as well as some surgical fellows and anesthesia quick care fellows as well. The big takeaways from this episode are going to be the fact that simulation is a great way to learn in medical education. The second takeaway being that mechanical circulatory support is technology that's been around for quite a while, but it's technology that's rapidly developing and something that we're going to see pretty regularly in our healthcare system, especially as our patients get older and we create new ways to sustain their cardiac function. And the third takeaway is that the more I find myself being present in situations and taking advantage of all the opportunities that I have here in front of me, especially during this quick year of fellowship, the more I realize that I can really build on my skill sets and build upon the knowledge base that I came into this year with. So let's get into how the day started. So take it back about 12 hours before this course, we had a evening session with a visiting professor from Columbia. He's a professor of anesthesiologist and is trained in cardiac anesthesia. And he's one of the co-founders of the Harvey software program, which can be used to basically play with different hemodynamics and different pathophysiologies that patients may have, looking at different pressure volume loop curves and seeing how different vasoactive support with either inotropy like epinephrine or dobutamine has an effect on their pressure volume loops. And then we also have the capability to add on mechanical support and see how different mechanisms or different mechanics can be useful in optimizing patients' pressure volume loops. And so that was a really good primer because we were able to see in live time how patients 
filling pressures would change, how their pulmonary circulation and their systemic circulation would change based on what sort of mechanical circulatory devices we were using. And it really just started the conversation before we got into Thursday's session. Now, when I was sitting in the session, there's moments where you really start to feel overwhelmed by how much information there is. And it can be a bit of an intimidating process because you're surrounded by experts in the field. You're working alongside cardiology fellows who are much more versed in a lot of these things. And this is their second time going through the course. So they have a decent amount of background knowledge coming into it. And it really brought me back to one of my first days of medical school where one of our deans of education, I remember on our first day said to us, medical school is like drinking from a water hose. And the best thing you can do is just try and keep your mouth open and absorb as much as you can. And at times fellowship can feel like that too, but the more persistent and the more you stick with these things and the more you just allow yourself to absorb as much as possible, the more it starts to stick with you. Now, as my educational, as my medical education path has grown and my area of interest and my future career has sort of been focused on anesthesiology and critical care medicine, a lot of the topics and information that I need to know becomes repetitive and you start to see topics coming up over and over again. And that's when things really start to stick with you and you start building a lot of confidence. So when I left anesthesia training, I felt very confident and very comfortable with a lot of the anesthesia information. And now jumping into critical care medicine, having to rotate in trauma ICUs, surgical ICUs, cardiac and neuro ICUs, the knowledge base that I have to obtain is much broader than just the operating room and the anesthesia that we provide. And I feel like I'm meds doing all over again at times. But I feel like I go into these situations with a totally different mindset. Being only nine to eight months away from being an attending and having the responsibility to make these judgment calls for patients and having to take on that responsibility of knowing how all of these mechanical support devices work really forces me to be engaged and learn as much as I can from these simulations and these workshops so that I can apply it to my practice and I'm not in uncomfortable situations where I have to look up answers or look at different resources. So the way the day was structured was we were broken up into three different groups, about four to five people each, and there were three stations that we would rotate through. Two of the stations were sim sessions, and then the third station was getting to get your hands on this equipment and talk to the reps from the companies that provide these devices. Now, before I go any further, this also reminds me that I'm going to be saying a lot of acronyms, and when I first got into medicine, you realize that medicine has its own language. And I even remember this when I was in college and pre-med and people would encourage you to take Latin because a lot of medical terminology has Latin origin. But as you get into these new technologies, there's a lot of acronyms you have to remember and there's a lot of new verbiage and terminology that you have to know. And the more repetition you get with it and the more familiarity you get with it, the more it just becomes part of your native language. Classic example is a lot of people learn Spanish when they're in high school and potentially even college, but a lot of that language knowledge doesn't really stick with you unless you travel to a place where they use that language and you're forced to communicate in that language. Medicine is the same way where you can read all these different terminologies and it really doesn't stick with you until you start talking with this terminology and having to troubleshoot and 
see it in real life to understand what these words mean and what the consequences are, what the benefits are of each of them. That's when it really starts to stick in your head. So before I go any further, I'm just going to break down a couple acronyms that are going to come up over and over again in this talk. So the first one being MCS or mechanical circulatory support. And if you break down those three words, what we ultimately end with is something that's mechanical. So it's typically power driven. So it has a power source and has a motor that ultimately helps you with your circulation. So you're basically taking over the heart, which is solely responsible for pumping the blood throughout the person's body. But now we're adding a motor system to basically augment that heart's ability to circulate the blood. And the last word being support. These are typically in patients who are having heart failure, cardiogenic shock, and they're just unable to circulate their blood efficiently enough to perfuse their organs, such as their brain or their kidneys. And these devices are going to help them get that blood and get the oxygen to the organs that they need them to. And I'll briefly go over some of the mechanical circulatory devices that we used or that we played with and had Sims on yesterday. The first one being an aortic balloon pump. So aortic balloon pumps are commonly put in for patients who come in with heart attacks or acute MIs who need augmentation of their oxygen delivery to the myocardium, as well as a decrease of oxygen consumption by their heart. And the way it accomplishes this is it's a balloon that sits in the aorta and will inflate during diastole, increasing that diastolic pressure, which allows more blood flow to go into the coronaries. And then it deflates right at the beginning of systole, which creates a vacuum effect and then reduces that afterload so that it reduces the amount of stress the heart is put on as it ejects blood from the left ventricle. The next device that we played with was called an impella. Now impella has become incredibly popular, especially in the ICU setting. And it's a small device that can either be placed through the groin or through uh, the axilla or the armpit. And it either goes into the left ventricle or the right ventricle, more commonly the left ventricle. And it basically looks like a straw about seven inches long and again creates this vacuum effect with a motor where it sucks blood from the ventricle and then deposits it into the aorta. So it ultimately takes over the job of the ventricle and allows blood to bypass that ventricle that's most likely failing in the situation and that's why they get that impella and allows forward flow of blood through the body. The next couple of devices that we played around with are called durable VADs, which are ventricular assist devices. These can either go in the right ventricle or the left ventricle. And these are devices that patients can live with for years. I asked the rep how long these devices are good for, and she said she's had one patient who's had one of these VADs for 19 years. Now, these are devices that patients obviously can go home with and live on their own. And this may be what they ultimately live with for the rest of their lives, but at times it can also be bridges to transplant which is what most of these devices are for. And so the way that these work is similar to the impella. They help suck blood from the ventricles and then through a graft, at least for the left side, will deposit that blood into the aorta. And the last thing that we used was called ECMO or extracorporeal membrane oxygenator. And there's two versions of these that you can use. One is VV and the other one is VA. The V standing for venous, so VV would be venous to venous, and then VA meaning venous to arterial. Quick overview of both of them. The VV is primarily used when patients have bad lungs, so 
the ECMO machine has an oxygenator as well as a pump. So for VV ECMO, we're mainly concerned about oxygenating the blood. So we've removed blood from the venous side, oxygenated it, and then put it back into the venous side. The time that we saw a huge spike in use of VV ECMO was during COVID when patients had really bad lungs and weren't just not able to oxygenate. These are the types of patients who would end up on VV ECMO, whereas VA ECMO is more of a substitute for a failing heart. So you're draining blood from the venous side and then depositing it into the arterial side. This too has an oxygenator, but we're really relying on the pump flow to circulate blood in the arterial side. So the first two SIM sessions were the first one being a situation where you had a patient who came in with an acute MI or an acute heart attack, ultimately needed a balloon pump and ended up having a ventricular septal defect. The second SIM was a patient who had an impella and the pella ended up moving in location and ended up getting dislodged and we had to troubleshoot that. Now, both of these scenarios brought up different scenarios where you would have to go to the bedside the mechanical circulatory support is alarming and this is typic this is like your classic typical night call in a cardiac icu where there's alarms going off the nurses call you for help and you have to troubleshoot these problems now the benefit of sim is that they did a very good job of simulating what the vital signs would look like what the chest x-rays would look like and what the echo images would look like the nice thing that they did was these were all cases that actually happened in real life. So all of the imaging was from real patients and we we're actually able to see how the progression of the storyline went based on how this actually happened in real life. Now, simulation relies on a little bit of suspension of reality. Now, Dummies and simulation models have come a long way in terms of making things seem like they're real. But of course, it's never really as real. And it's hard to sort of heighten everyone's fear and anxiety level to reality. But if you buy into this model and you take it seriously, there's a lot that you can gain out of it. For example, when we were looking at the balloon pump, just being able to look at the monitor itself and understand how the waveforms of the balloon pump will look and then going through a differential in your head to figure out why the waveforms don't look the way they do and then being able to troubleshoot it with a cardiologist by my side and understand their thought process was very helpful for me because there will eventually be a point where I'm going to have to do these situations and I'm going to encounter them and the more I found myself being engaged in the sim and listening to my colleagues or at least putting myself out there to throw out contributions and talk through my thought process creates a memory bank for me so that when I do see this in real life, I can think back to these situations. And the benefit of SIM is that it's a low stake situation. So even if you say something that's wrong, it's not really going to affect a real patient or kill somebody in real life. And if anything, saying something wrong heightens your anxiety and that memory is going to stick with you more than if you said something correct and then the conversation just moved on from then. And I think back to all the simulations I've ever been a part of, which really started when I was in UVM rescue. And a lot of our training was based on creating simulations with dummies and either you were the trainee going through that simulation or ultimately you'd become a trainer and put somebody through a scenario and have to evaluate them. Same thing in medical school, we had different scenarios that we had to go through 
But for whatever reason, now that I'm closer to taking on this responsibility on my own and becoming an attending, these situations I've found are so much more valuable and take them so much more seriously than I used to because I'm realizing that this is the perfect opportunity to see these experiences, create that memory bank, and understand the thought process of how I will ultimately get to the final goal of what I need to, to rescue this patient. Now, when we were done with the Sims, we were able to talk to somebody from a biomed who puts out the Impella devices. We're able to talk through the different mechanisms of the Impella. One of the cool things in my mind was that they would talk about some of the downsides of their current models that they have, some of the complications that they see that have come up with their current models, and then where they see future models going. And that really just brings back the point of these companies that are creating these devices are understanding how important they are for our aging population who have comorbidities that make them sick, too sick for surgery. And also these patients are in a situation where they will likely need a heart transplant. And as more heart transplants are taking place across the U.S., we're finding more and more need for these mechanical circulatory support devices. And so these companies are very much invested in optimizing their products and making them as useful as possible. Same thing with a balloon pump. We got to sit with one of the nurse educators from the coronary care unit who walked us through the balloon pump monitor. Um, we got to see a balloon pump in person and just kind of play around with it. And just getting your hands on those things in a situation like this is a lot less intimidating than when you're doing it by the bedside when you're rounding. You can ask questions that you think are silly, questions that you may not ask in front of a patient or in front of the rest of the team. And it just creates a more, creates a lower stake environment to put yourself out there and allow yourself to learn as much as possible. Now, the second half of the day was more focused on the VAD devices and the ECMO machine. And it was pretty perfect timing for me in terms of what I've been doing this week because one of our heart transplant patients came out in ECMO. And all week long when I've been presenting the plan for him, I've been having to do my own research prior to rounds to really solidify the knowledge or solidify what my plan was going to be for that day in terms of weaning him from ECMO and ultimately decannulating him from ECMO. But having that knowledge base and seeing that happen in live action actually made it much easier to go through these simulations when it came time for the VA ECMO and just enforced a lot of the knowledge that I had already gained this week and created more knowledge for me to use going forward. The other benefit of getting that hands-on experience with the ECMO machine and the VADs is that, well, one with the VADs, those are surgically implanted into the patient. So being able to hold that device in your hand is a pretty cool feeling, but also you just have a better understanding of the mechanics of how it is sitting in the heart and what it's doing inside the patient's body. And then the second part of that is getting to see the ECMO machine up close and personal when it's not connected to a patient which allows you to play with all the bells and whistles and understand how all the connections work, how we're going to troubleshoot if things were going wrong. Those are all things that aren't really feasible when they're connected to the patient, but when you're outside of a patient's room and you're in simulation, you have that benefit of taking your time to go through all of the equipment. You have a ECMO specialist there in front of you who you can ask questions to. 
And it's really helpful so that when I'm in a patient's room and I'm looking at an ECMO machine, I'm able to better appreciate everything that's going on. And even today, as I've rounded and seen patients with these devices, it's totally changed my whole perspective of how I evaluate them and how I perform my physical exam and what I'm looking for on a day-to-day basis when these patients have these devices. And the last part of this talk is really just focused again on how important it is to be present in the moment, especially when you're exhausted and tired, because these moments come and go very quickly. And if you find yourself drifting before you know it, this moment's going to be over and no one's going to give you an opportunity to come back to the simulation and come back to this workshop to ask questions that you may have missed or you may not have been able to get out because you were distracted or not engaged. And to be honest, these CVICU weeks are incredibly exhausting, mainly because of how early it is in the day, but also just how sick these patients are and how much thought process it takes to make sure that you're providing the best possible care for them. I was already going into this workshop pretty tired, having that evening session the night before, not getting much sleep prior to this workshop, but I knew how important it was just to stay focused and engaged because this was one of those settings where I'm surrounded by experts. They're allowing me the opportunity to play with this equipment. And if I don't obtain everything I need to from the situation, I will likely just go back to the original method of searching things online and looking at pictures online and never really getting over that comfort hump of feeling confident when I'm taking care of these patients. And this sort of goes with anything in life. The more you are present in a situation, the more you're going to take out of that situation. And it's easy to get tired, it's easy to get distracted, and it's easy to find your mind wandering. But when you can fully appreciate the importance of the situation you're in, at least for me personally, I've found that I'm never regretful of being fully engaged. And if anything, those are the moments where I can reflect back and realize that I really did take something away and I learned some, I learned a lot from that situation. Whereas I can think of plenty of lectures where I've gone to and just sat there to be present and to be marked literally present so that I was in docked and probably didn't take anything out of that situation. So I'm hopeful that as I continue on this educational path, I can push through exhaustion and basically be able to focus on these experiences and absorb as much knowledge as I can from these experts. So to recap, the three takeaway points that I hope you get from this are simulation is an incredible way to learn something because it offers you low stake environments to put yourself out there, allow yourself to fail or ask silly questions and utilize especially multidisciplinary sims because it was a great example yesterday of how there are different thought processes when encountering an issue and just being able to hear a cardiologist thought process and then for me to offer my perspective coming from anesthesia and intensive care we both had different perspectives but ultimately were able to come to a similar conclusion and i think having that conversation really builds my understanding of what I need out of my consultants and how they're thinking about certain problems and certain situations. The second takeaway is that mechanical circulatory support devices are here to stay and they're only going to get more and more prevalent in our healthcare system. This is an example of things that weren't necessarily taught in medical school and I'm sure they are 
picking up steam in terms of being taught in medical school, but there's going to be other things like that in medicine that change and you have to be the one to adapt and be willing to learn these new things that come out in medicine. Because if you don't, you will probably not provide the best possible care that you can to your patient and you will become less useful in this healthcare system if you don't keep up with new technology. For me personally, I think this technology is very fascinating. I think the engineering is very fascinating. And I think the more engaged I can be in it, the more you can find yourself being a leader and a reliable resource for others who want to learn more about it as well. And lastly, being able to be engaged and be focused on the presence and on your educational opportunities when they come up is very important. Luckily, I've been able to close my eyes on the train and find a little peace and quiet there. And that's where I really find a little bit of rest and solo time where I can allow my brain just to go into isoelectric mode and just not really think about anything. And it reminds me that that two hours, one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening, that will be when I can rest my brain and not have to worry about myself. And it allows me to keep the drive up throughout the day to record podcasts like this, maintain my engagement in educational activities, and just get done all the other things that are on my never-ending to-do list. And lastly, I know I gave you an overview of different mechanical circulatory support devices, but if you know nothing about it and you want to take away at least one thing about these devices, you'll hear this over and over again as you learn more about them. The one thing to keep in mind with them is that they are preload dependent and afterload sensitive. So what does that mean? Typically when problems occur with these devices, it's either going to be an issue of preload, meaning volume, which in most scenarios, it means they don't have enough volume and that is creating potentially what we call suction events where there's just not enough blood in that ventricle for the device to suck up and that creates issues within itself. Or the issue could be with afterload, meaning that the blood pressure is too high and that's creating issues on its own. Lastly, the other differential whenever we're going to check on a patient who is having alarms going off is the position. These devices that we're putting in percutaneously, either in the groin or in the axilla, have potential to move. And these patients typically get daily chest x-rays so that we can ensure they're in the right place. Um, but another mode of imaging that we can use to make sure they're in the right place is an echo. So for most of these scenarios where you're responding to alarms and coming in crashing situations, getting a chest x-ray and getting an echo, as well as your hemodynamic status are all good places to start in terms of figuring out what is ultimately wrong with these patients. So thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you all stay eager to learn more. And if you ever find yourself dealing with mechanical circulatory support devices, just remember they are preload dependent, afterload sensitive. And the positioning is very important. If you like this episode of CMO, be sure to hit the subscribe button to the Behind the Drapes podcast, where you can hear more episodes just like this and have the new episodes downloaded to your homepage as they come out. If you want to check out some of the educational content that I put out, Check out my social media page on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, and that's at Keywords by Kenny, at Keywords X Kenny, 
and that'll get you to these short videos that I put out about different educational topics related to anesthesia and the ICU.